righty. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate uh, Palm Sunday by looking at a, a very awesome and unique story in John chapter 12. I want to make uh, two or three just notes for you. Um, if you have bread and juice available, at the conclusion of our service, uh, Pastor Darren's going to lead us in a time of communion, and so you want to have those elements ready, um, and so we'll take that together. But as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I want to take you down a trip down memory lane with a few images. And so I want to show you a few images. We're going to start right here with our first image. How many of you remember what the... Now, you might have to explain what this is for certain members of your family, okay? So if you're... Uh, I was born in 1980. I'm an 80s kid, so everything that we're going to see here in the next few minutes, I experienced in my own home. But this is a telephone. So the way a telephone works is you actually... Uh, it, it, it's, it sat on a desk, it just, and it just stood there. You couldn't take it with you. Uh, it had a plug and had a telephone wire. And I just, I want to I wanna explain. I, I went to go find one of the, but I don't have one of these anymore. Uh, so you would take the, uh, the top part is the receiver, and you would take that up, and then you would dial your phone number. And let me tell you, if you got one wrong, you had to hang that thing up, Right? You have to wait a few seconds, pick it back up, wait for the dial tone, and then you have to start all the way over. This is where we get the term, hang up the phone, right? Most of you are just disconnecting, right? Uh, but this is a telephone that we used to use. Uh, let me show you the next picture. Let me show you the next picture. How many of you remember yellow pages? How many of you still have a yellow page in your home right now? Okay, about half of the people here. Uh, have a yellow page. Uh, so yellow pages were these big books designed for businesses uh, to help stay in contact with one another, and they had advertisements and all things. Uh, how many of you remember white pages, right? And boy, if you wanted to find out, this is, this is old school social media stalking. If you, if you wanted to find out where someone lived, you would look up their name, right? And you'd, you'd find their name, and then sometimes the dots would just go right across, and they didn't have their address listed. And you knew they were unlisted, couldn't find out where they lived. And then they would have their phone number, and so then you would call and make sure it was the same James Smith that you were looking for. And oftentimes, spoiler alert, it was not. It was not. So we had yellow pages and white pages. Let me show you the next image. Oh, this is next level. How many of you, we have a Rolodex actually on our church, <laughs> on our church desk. How many of you remember Rolodex? Now, Rolodex, this was awesome. This was to, like, who has time to look in a yellow pages for something, right? So if it was your, one of your frequently used numbers, you would grab one of these little cards and you'd write all the information on it, and then you'd flip through, and then at a moment's notice, well, a couple of spins anyway, you'd get the information you're looking for. Uh, let me show you another one. I was looking up here to see the picture turn, and it's just you, the picture's over here. Um, <laughs> All right, so the Polaroid. This, this is, these, these have made a comeback, haven't they? They've made a comeback now. Um, this was awesome. This was a way that you could uh, take pictures, um, and you'd have to wait a second, and it would come out. It'd be all dark, and then you'd do this number, right? You remember doing that? I don't even know if that helped. Like, is there any actual instructions in the Polaroid book? Like, this helps, but we all did it. I, I can see you doing it right now at home. You're doing that. And the picture would come up. You're like, nope, that's not a good one. Let's take another one. And you'd take pictures that way. Um, get ready for this next one. How many of you remember the camcorder, right? 
You had one? Dean had one. I, our family had one. And let me tell you, man, my da- it came in a steel. Well, it wasn't steel, but it looked like it was a gray suitcase. Had a combination lock on it even, just in case anybody wanted to haul away our 5,000-pound camcorder. Uh, and they were big and they're heavy. And if I remember right, I don't know if you remember, Dean, these were like two, $3,000 when they were brand new. And uh, you couldn't edit on it. Mm-mm. You can do it. Literally all it did was record on a VHS. And the reason why this is big, so big, because the VHS, fit, that's a whole nother story. Anyway, camcorder. Uh, let me show you one more or maybe two more. Oh, yeah. How many of you remember the Walkman? This, this was the symbol of teenage independence, where you could sit in a room with your parents and have headphones on with a metal brace that goes over your head and big foamy cushions on your ears and a wire that goes to your Walkman because you didn't have time to listen to your parents. You had independence. Uh, Let me show you a couple more. Oh, yeah. The Casio calculator watch. Uh, This was outlawed at Roosevelt Elementary School where I went to school because you could cheat. Uh, and most of us couldn't figure out how to turn off the sound. And so if we tried to cheat during a math class, it just went beep, beep, beep the whole time. But we had a calculator on our wrist because everyone knows you would need a calculator on your wrist at all times. That's why they made that. All right, one more. I don't know if you can see it at home, but this is a complete set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And these, uh, for those of you who don't have an encyclopedia at home, These were books of knowledge. And the reason why we invested so much money in printing them into books is because we knew no information ever changes. And so we printed them in books. And I remember doing book reports. Um, And I remember when, uh, like, the Berlin Wall came down and the map in Europe completely changed and all these books were completely outdated. Um, Could you imagine... In 1985, telling each other that within 25 years, every image we just looked at would fit in the palm of your hand. In 2007, uh, when Steve Jobs actually announced the iPhone, you should look it up, not right now, don't do it now, but look at it later. Look at the announcement, uh, just Google the original announcement for the iPhone. And it was brilliant because he said, Um, we have come up with a groundbreaking technology for the world's uh, best handheld phone and the world's best handheld camera and the world's best handhold handhold, uh, music player. And the crowd's like, okay, great. Three new products. He says, let me say that again. The world's best phone and the world's best camera and the world's best music player. And he announced that all those things would be contained in one element, the iPhone. In 25 years, in 30 years, it's amazing what technology. And so if you sat in my home on Bishop Avenue in Santa Ana, California, in my living room, and said, Danny, that's what my family called me, by the way. You're not allowed to do that. (laughs) Danny, in 25, 30 years, all of these things in your home, the camcorder, the encyclopedia, the... uh, uh, the calcul- all of those things are going to be in the palm of your hand. It would have blown my expectations. Like the actual reality compared to my expectations would have been completely blown. And so this is our topic. This is our big idea for Palm Sunday, and that's this. God's plans 
are far superior than our expectations. In your home, here in this room, I want you to say that out loud. Ready, begin. God's plans are far superior than our expectations. In just a few moments, we're going to look at John chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But let me set the scene for Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And the reason that they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is they were lining the way for Jesus' entry. And this was the time for the Jewish people uh, to celebrate Passover. Now, the reason they were celebrating it is 13 to 1,500 years earlier, before the scene, is when the original Passover happened. Do you remember the circumstances that led to it? Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And in doing so, through a series of discussions with Pharaoh and Moses, God begins to show Pharaoh how serious he is about the children being free, the children of Israel, this nation being free. And so God decides to send plagues. And in sending plagues, he sends uh, a variety of different plagues. Last year's VBS that we had here at church, you can quiz your children. Uh, We talked about the different kinds of plagues uh, that existed that God sent. God decides to send one more final plague in order for Pharaoh to understand and to learn exactly that God was serious about his nation, his children of Egypt, having freedom. And the last plague was this, all the male firstborn, three years and younger, would be killed. So the people of God were instructed to take a perfect male lamb, perfect and spotless They were instructed to kill it, and when they killed it, they were to take that blood that was spilled from the lamb, and they would put it on the doorposts of their home. And the reason they did this is this. That night, the appointed night, the angel of death would visit all the houses in Egypt. And when he visited a house, he would look on the doorpost to see if the blood was covering that home. And all across Egypt, the followers of Jesus, the nation, the children of Israel, they had all followed the instructions. They didn't know why they were doing it, but they knew they needed to do it. And so they all followed instructions, and there was blood on their doorpost. And so when the angel of death saw those households that had the blood covering, the angel of death, the Bible says, would pass over that house. That's where we get Passover. Any house that had the blood of a spotless lamb, the angel of death would pass over the house and their house would be spared. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the way God works. They were just following instructions. They were just following instructions. What they were doing in obedience was actually foreshadowing what was to come. You see, God would send his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless lamb of God. You ever wonder why in the New Testament, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming afar off, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The reason he does that is because Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, that there would come a perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And he would come and he would die and his blood would be spilt in order to save us from our sin. Now, historically speaking, in first century Jerusalem, where Palm Sunday is being celebrated, We're talking about a town that was roughly about 200,000 people. 
during this week of Passover, it would swell up to about 2 million people. How many of you understand what it means when our town in Roseburg or in Douglas County swells up? Like during the week, there's no one, especially during the holidays. And then all of a sudden, the week before Christmas, there's so many cars. And we're like, where do all these people live normally? Because we don't normally see them. The town swells up. This is what happens in Jerusalem. The town swelled up to about 2 million people. Jesus makes his uh, entry during the celebratory time. Now, it was common for people to celebrate by finding and purchasing a spotless lamb. And so all throughout Jerusalem, there would be markets where you could purchase these lambs. This was done to honor the tradition and the history of the original Passover. So this is the time that Jesus chose to make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now, you got to understand, Jesus had a reputation at this point. He absolutely had a reputation. He was someone who had walked on water. He had given sight to the blind. He had healed uh, the deaf so they could hear. I want you to think about the Saturday before Palm Sunday. Um, So maybe later today or after we're done, read the beginning of John chapter 12, and you'll see what happened the day before Palm Sunday. It's Saturday, and Jesus is hanging out with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were among Jesus' closest friends. And he had dinner with them. And at one point during the, uh, during the evening, a bottle of perfume was broken at Jesus' feet. Do you remember that story? It's in John chapter 12. He was anointed with perfume. The interesting thing is the perfume that was actually used, and you can see the name of it in the first few verses of John chapter 12, was the traditional perfume used for burials. When someone passed away, they would use this perfume in order to mask the body, the the smell and the odor of the the body. This is the type of perfume. Unknowingly, this woman was preparing Jesus' body for his death. That's what happened the Saturday before Palm Sunday. When you think about Jesus, there's two titles that are commonly associated with him. We think about the Messiah and the Christ, and these are actually the same two titles in two different languages. The Messiah is in Hebrew and the Christ is in Greek, but both are meaning the anointed one. And so Jesus and uh, Jesus the Christ and Jesus the Messiah is the anointed one. And so this Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and now is anointed with this perfume in preparation for his death. That brings us up to John chapter 12. So let's look at verse number 12. We're going to read about three or four verses, and uh, you can follow along here or in your own Bibles. It says this, that the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Like we said before, people knew who Jesus was. He was. He had a reputation that preceded him. Look at verse 13. It says this, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. So right there in your living rooms here in this room, everybody shout Hosanna. One, two, three, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You look at verse 14, it says this, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Verse 15, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. It's another uh, term of endearment for Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, Jerusalem. See, your kingdom is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. The irony and the heartbreaking reality is that some of those in the crowd shouting Hosanna here are the same that will be shouting crucify him in less than a week. 
In less than a week's time, they went from shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And five, six days later, they're shouting, crucify him. How? How does that happen in a group of people that makes them change their tune so quickly? Why did the crowd turn? What would cause them to shift from Hosanna to crucify him? Simply put, it's like what we talked about earlier. God's plans were far superior than their expectations. And as a result, their voices shifted. So if you have your journal, we're just going to identify quickly this morning three three expectations that led them to turning. Number one is this. They were expecting honor, but God provided humility. They were expecting honor, and God provided humility. Think about Jerusalem and think about being a Jewish person in Jerusalem. As a people, they were tired of being subjugated, oppressed, slaves. They were second-class citizens in many ways. They were uh, used to not being important. And all of a sudden, Jesus is here, and all of a sudden, they were ready for honor and glory, and they were sorely disappointed when God provided humility instead. Look at verse 16. It says this, At first, his disciples did not understand all this. So not only just the Jewish people and the audience around, but even the disciples themselves didn't understand why Jesus chose to come this way. The donkey was a symbol of peace, typically when there was a change in regime in first century Jerusalem. When there was a change of leadership, the new king, the new leader would ride upon a horse because a horse was a symbol of battle and of victory. And yet here Jesus chooses to enter on a donkey. They wanted, they wanted uh, hu- honor, but God provided humility. The re- rest of the verse says this, only after, oh, I'm sorry, let's go to verse 16. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. You see, they wanted humility, but God provided honor. Second reason is this, they wanted a revolution. But God provided them a revelation. Think about what they wanted as a Jewish person. They wanted a revolution. They wanted personal uh, revolution. They wanted a change. They didn't want to be second-class citizens anymore. They didn't want to be subjugated. They didn't want to be oppressed as a people anymore. They wanted to be in leadership. They wanted honor. They wanted a revolution. They needed a change. They wanted economic change. They wanted to be on the top of the totem pole that way. They wanted political change, and they thought Jesus' arrival coming into Jerusalem was a signature moment where revolution would finally come. They wanted things to change overnight when it came to their circumstances. But because of their expectations, they were limited and temporary. They were shocked by what God provided instead. He provided a revelation instead, and this was the revelation. This is Jesus, the Son of God, and he will save you from your sin. I want you to look at the verse in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 uh, describes the, the birth of Jesus, the Uh, the beginning of the Gospels, and this is one of the verses uh, that the whole story hinges on. She, we're talking about Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Man, the people wanted a revolution, but God provided a revelation instead. 
And the revelation is this. This is Jesus. He will save his people from his sin. It could have been described any other way. Uh, uh, You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will uh, save his people from dictatorship. He will save his people from economic ruin. He will save his people from fake news. He will save his people from political uh, ruin. But God provided a revelation instead, not a revolution. Look at the definition again, Matthew 1, verse 21. You to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's the truth of the matter. They wanted saving. They wanted saving from their subjugation as Jewish citizens. They wanted saving from their oppression as second-class citizens. They wanted saving from their slavery. They wanted saving from them not being important. They wanted saving, yet the revelation was, this is Jesus, the Son of God, who will save you from their sin. They hadn't really thought about sin. They really hadn't thought about being saved from their sin. They were too busy thinking about their circumstances, which was limited and temporary. Yet God came to save us from our sins. God came to provide something eternal, and it was lost on this crowd because they were searching for something temporary. They were searching for some temporary relief. Boy, the the encouragement and the lesson for us is that we shouldn't get lost looking for what God is going to provide in this temporary so much when we miss the eternal that God has planned for you, their expectations were fixed on something limited and temporary. And what we want is a fixed, changed circumstance, yet God has come to bring something eternal. So they wanted humility, and yet God provided honor. I'm sorry, they wanted honor, and God provided humility by Jesus riding in on a donkey. They wanted a revolution, and yet God provided a revelation. I would say the third reason the crowd turned is, They wanted power, and God provided peace. They wanted power, yet God provided peace. They had heard about the miracles. And I think for a large percentage of them, walking into this scene where everyone's crowded and everyone's expecting to celebrate the Passover, and they see Jesus coming in, and he's on a donkey, which is confusing for them. This is not exactly the entry we thought you'd make, but... My goodness, he's here to give us power. He's here to restore the natural of order of things. He's here to provide the power that we're looking for. Uh, is he going to do the same miracles for us? Is he going to heal us the same way? Is he going to get rid of the existing government and exalt them into all the positions of power? They wanted power over their circumstances, their land, their politics, their temporary station in life. And yet God came to grant something larger, something way more meaningful. And that's this. He came to grant us peace. You say, Daniel, this one doesn't really apply to me. I'm not really into power. Let me, let me change the word for a moment. They wanted control. <laughs> um, can, I t- can I be honest? I feel like all of our control has been taken away from us the last few weeks. Right? All of the control. And yet power and control are really the two sides of the same coin. God has come to give us something that is worth more than power or control, he's come to give us peace. When you think you have power and even when you think you have come, uh, control, there's going to come a point in your life, even whatever amount you think you have under control is going to begin to slip away. And it's in those moments that God desperately wants to grant you his peace instead. 
one of Jesus' names uh, is the Prince of Peace. The word there, Prince, is the Hebrew word Sar, it's the captain. And the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It's the word completeness or wholeness. He's the captain of our wholeness, our peace. You know, he, he comes as the prince of peace, riding on a donkey, which symbolizes peace. Coming into a city, Jerusalem, which literally means city of peace. I want you to think about the Gospels for a moment, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Typically, when someone comes to Christ or someone wants to learn a little bit more about God, I always encourage them to read through the Gospels and just make a list of everything Jesus said, did, or prayed. It's a very helpful exercise. Maybe you're looking for something to do with your family. This is a great uh, project. Pick, pick one of the Gospels and pick one chapter, and everyone on their own, just make a list of everything Jesus did, what he said, and what he prayed. And then compare that list. It's a fascinating exercise on who Jesus is. There's 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four of those chapters deal with Jesus' first 30 years of his life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wish I had a little bit more information about Jesus' first 30 years, right? I wish I had more information as a five-year-old kid, an eight-year-old boy, a teenager. There's only one story. I think Jesus is around 12 or 13 we have. I think it's in Luke. But other than that, we have no information. There's only four chapters that cover his birth up to 30 years age. 85 chapters describe the last three years of his life. Of those 85, 29 of those chapters discuss the last week on earth. Why? Why was so much of the gospel dedicated to the last week of his life? Because this is what was important to Jesus. This week leads up this week leading up to Easter is also referenced as Passion Week, Holy Week. Uh, you ever watched The Passion? How many of you have watched The Passion in this room? Everyone has watched The Passion? Um, I'd encourage you if you've never seen it, um, find some time this week um, and watch The Passion of the Christ. I remember the first time I watched it uh, was in a theater. And um, it was incredibly moving, heartbreaking. I cried. I've only watched it twice. I cried. Um, it's incredibly sad to watch. Um, no one cheers at the end of the Passion. No, no one uh, gets up for a round of applause. It kind of leaves you in this really somber moment where you just observe a depiction of what Christ went through. You ever wonder why it's called Passion Week or why it's referenced as the Passion of the Christ? Uh, if, I were to, if I were to have coffee with you in two or three years when all this is over, right? Um, hopefully not that long, a few weeks. <laughs> if we sit down, uh, you should have seen the faces in here. Um, if we sat down for a cup of coffee, and we're just talking and we're just chatting. And I say, hey, tell me what you're passionate about. Just tell me what you're passionate about. I know if someone asked that about me, uh, there's five or seven things that probably come right across my head. Um, I'm passionate about relationships. I think people are in desperate uh, desire to have uh, healthy, meaningful relationships with one another. Um, I'm passionate about what God has done for me and the way he's restored my life. 
I'm passionate about my wife and our family. I'm passionate about uh, the Lakers. I'm passionate about basketball. I'm passionate about um, uh, the rest of this season being finished so a Lakers season doesn't go wasted. There's things I'm just passionate about, right? Uh, what would your list be? Think right there in your home when you're talking with another, say it out loud what you're passionate about. Anybody in here? Music. Music? Okay, yeah, that's a good one. A lot of people are very passionate about music. Anything else? Family. Family? Family? Yeah. Football, Football thank you. Um, there's things people are passionate about. If we were to have the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with Jesus and we were to ask him what, his pa- what he is passionate about, I believe his response would be simple and profound, beautiful and moving. I believe Jesus would say, you know, I'm glad you asked because I'm passionate about you. This is why it's the Passion Week. Because he's passionate about you. You're the first thing that comes to mind. You're the only thing that comes to mind. The Bible says that God commendeth, he demonstrated, he proved his love for you, for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he's passionate about. He's passionate about you. I want you to think about what type of sacrifices do you make for the things you are passionate about. Just think about it. So these things that we listed before, uh, if you're passionate about music, you will set aside time not only to listen it, but if you're a musician, you set time aside to practice and to to get better and, and to hone in on your craft. If you're passionate about your family, you will make sacrifices to spend more time with your family. You will set aside blocks of time to have game nights and have weekend getaways to and go to the coast and do all those things. Uh, if you're passionate about the Lakers, you will spend extra time recording their games so you can watch them over and over and over and over again. If you're passionate about something, you will make a sacrifice for it. Here's the thing. This is what Jesus is passionate about. He's passionate about you. And because he's passionate about you, he went through this week. And he went to the cross, and he died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For the wages, the penalty, what we deserve, the wages of sin is death. That's what's coming to us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why he endured this week. This is why he was able to endure a week when the crowd went from Hosanna to crucify him. This is why he was able to endure the betrayal. This is why he was able to endure the torture and the beatings. This is why he was able to carry his own cross. This is why he was able to hang upon his tree and in his dying last moments able to forgive those that were responsible because he's passionate about you. Jesus came humbly 
as a savior. Go back and read John 12 together on your own and you'll see, boy, he came humbly. He came on a donkey because he came to represent the peace that he would provide. The revelation of God that God provided is this. This is Jesus, the son of God who came to save you, not from your quarantine, not from the temporary circumstances that we're in, but he came to save us from our sin. And in the midst of these temporary circumstances that are frustrating, that are hard to deal with, whether it's this situation we find ourselves in right now, or it's a family relationship system that, uh, uh, scenario that's hard for you to deal with, or it's a health diagnosis that's particularly difficult, finally, Jesus comes to give you peace. So in the midst of the storm, you have the presence of someone who's standing with you. He's passionate about you. Boy, if you've never come to a place in your life where you have accepted his passion, I want you to think about that. Have you ever just accepted Jesus' passion for you? The gift that he provides. Boy, it would be, this is the week to make that decision for the first time. I'd encourage you, if you're watching this live, message the church's Facebook page. Uh, If you're sitting with someone Tell them right now in this moment, I want to receive what he's talking about. Take the time, be bold and courageous to receive the gift of salvation because he's passionate about you. And he demonstrated how passionate by what he sacrificed. And that was his life. I'm going to take a moment and this is what we're going to do next. I'm going to pray for you at home. I'm going to pray for you who have, uh, first of all, for those who have never accepted the gift of salvation, we're going to say, say a prayer that you would have the courage and boldness to reach out to us. I would love to talk to you or FaceTime you this week over the phone and show you from the Bible what it means to receive the gift of salvation. It's as simple as those verses I quoted. If you would believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you have the power to receive the adoption, the sonship of Jesus Christ. I'd love to walk you through that or maybe one of our elders or one of our staff. And then I want to say a prayer for you at home that are followers of Jesus Christ. And in this moment where we miss each other, I want you to lean into the fact that Jesus has came to provide peace. We all feel like we're missing a little control right now. But I want you to lean into the peace that God has provided. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. And then I'm going to leave it open for you to pray with you and your family. And during that silent time when it's just you praying with your family, uh, we're going to have our worship team come back and set up, and we're going to sing Hosanna together, okay? So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the time we get to spend. Lord, thank you for John chapter 12. Thank you for coming into Jerusalem, fulfilling the 1,300, 1,500-year-old prophecy, this this thing they were doing back in Egypt where they were just following instructions, and maybe I don't even think they understood that they were actually representing something larger that was to come, you know, hundreds of years later. But thank you for coming. Thank you for being our Passover. Thank you for uh, shedding your blood so that we can put it on the doorpost of our heart, so we can be identified with you so that we do not have to pay the eternal price for our sin. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for providing this revelation that you are Jesus, the Son of God, and you are our Messiah, you are our Christ, you are the Anointed One, and you have come to save us from your sin. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And Father, thank you for providing peace. 
Thank you in the midst of this uh, unease that we find ourselves in. And to be honest, Lord, it's not the only time we're going to find ourselves in this unease. When things go back to quote-unquote normal, we're going to have unease in a lot of different ways. And so, Father, thank you for providing peace. Thank you, Father, thank you that you are far superior than our expectations could ever imagine. Father, for those who have never accepted the gift of salvation, Father, I pray that this week, this holy week, would be the time where they recognize who you are passionate for and they would receive that gift of salvation. Father, as we take a moment right now in this room and all across Douglas County and who knows how far else, uh, as we take some time to pray and to be grateful for uh, your revelation, to be grateful for the peace that you provide, as we take some time to do that, I pray that you would encourage us through your Holy Spirit. And Father, in just a few moments, I pray that Douglas County, all across our nation, that we as God's people would cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, as we celebrate our King. Right now in your homes, I'd encourage you to take some time right now and pray a prayer of thanksgiving for both his, his humility, for the fact that he came to um, save us from our sin, and the fact that he came to provide us peace. And in just a few moments, we'll sing Hosanna together.